0: Good morning. Good morning. Just survey purposes, how how many people drove in the snow at some point today already? Oh, okay. Oh, great. Okay, good. I was driving early, and it was was great and peaceful and fantastic and um, enjoyed it. And yeah, so I don't know what... I didn't really look at the forecast too much because I think we've collectively learned uh, that forecasts right now for our city uh, mean absolutely nothing. And so... Um, I'm just tired of it toying with my emotions, so I've stopped looking. Um, But it was a a wonderful, peaceful drive uh, this morning. Quinn, fantastic job. That was awesome. So can I I ask you to come and do that again in our 11 o'clock? Great. Thanks. Good. (laughs) Hey, uh, I want to invite you to uh, uh, join me in just thanking somebody else. We've had uh, one of our leaders in training. Um, actually, Jordan is leading this morning. Jordan, awesome job. Thanks so much. I heard a ton. But um, it, is a, in her second year of leader in training, we've got a few months left. We wind down in June. Um, Maya also, who's on guitar, is, is taking off for a couple months uh, for kind of a study abroad thing in, in Europe and somewhere else, maybe Europe, just Europe just Europe, just learning in Europe. Okay, limiting learning. So uh, for a couple months. And so we're going to miss you. Have a great time. Uh, so value all that you've done is watched you grow and flourish here. And so have a great couple months and then we'll see you back. And so thank you. Um, we're just on the front end of uh, starting the application process for next year's leaders in training. And so if you don't know what that is, it's uh, one of the things that God's called us to as a church is to invest in the next generation of leaders uh, in, in the hopes of seeing them serve the church for their life, whatever that might look like, whatever God might call them to. Um, and so every year we start an application process about in, in February, and that goes through about May. Uh, then we like to get the, the next cohort set in June, and then it kicks off late August, early September. If you have any questions or if you're interested at all, there's all, a bunch of information online. You can find out more, but we'll be talking about it in the, in the coming weeks and, uh, and months as we enter into this season uh, for applying for next year's cohort. Um, we have been in a series called The Story. Uh, and how this started was at the beginning of the year, it just felt like God was calling us in a new way back to Scripture, uh, and so if you haven't seen these around or heard about these, this is, this is one way we're getting uh, a reading plan out. So it's just in a bookmark. Uh, we spent January kind of preparing for it and then started in February. So first day of February, started a reading plan. We started in the beginning of Genesis uh, and just a couple chapters a day. And then on Sundays, we're basically looking back over what we've read the week before and saying, here's what we're learning uh, from God. And these are some of the texts that he's led us to. Uh, if you don't have one, you can grab one of those bookmarks in the lobby. Uh, they're out in the welcome table, I think on the shelves up here in the front where Bibles are. But And then if you don't have a Bible, would you grab one of those too? And uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter two, 22 uh, today, Genesis chapter 22. Um, and the story, if, if this is new to you, the story is not, it's not a new story every week. Uh, it's the story that scripture tells cohesively over all of the books, both the Old and the New Testament. Is it, It's a story about God. Uh, and the way that God tells his story is through the lives of many, many people and then primarily one people, the people of Israel, as we're finding as we start in Genesis. But it's its not just any story, it's the story about God, and it all points to and culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who we've already sung about and declared today. But every time we gather, we want to hear how it is that God's calling us to know and follow Jesus and to love him above anything else. And so that's what we'll see today as we as we look to Genesis chapter 22 as well. Before we, before we dive in, I want to invite you to pray with me, and so we're just going to Take a moment to go to God again uh, and then go to the text together. So would you pray with me? God, we come together today with a sense of anticipation that we would meet you, that we would experience you, that we would sense you in a very real, present, here and now way, that you're here with us, that this is your time that we've entered in to, to join with you. And so God, would you, would you help us this morning be in awe of you, have a sense of reverence for your majesty and your power, your goodness, your holiness. As we sing today to you, would, would we have a sense that we're singing to a God who is worthy of all of our attention as we read your word that we would gain an awe for how good you are and faithful and trustworthy. The Holy Spirit, we need your help in doing that and so we ask that you would move and work in our time here and not just not just in a vague sense of time but that you would actually be helping our minds to to be awake and sharp and to catch things that maybe we haven't caught before to wrestle with new ideas and maybe strange ones at that that you would keep our hearts soft and that you would be able to to mold them and direct them for some of us we need you to heal our hearts today would you do that would you comfort others of us need uh, your conviction to go in a different direction, and so would you do that? And Jesus, this is all about you and for you, uh, and you're calling us to know and follow you better and to love you above all else, and so would you do that in our time in your word, in our time singing, in our time coming to your table this morning? It's in your name that we pray, amen. I want to read a story to you. It's in Genesis chapter 22. It's 18 verses. It's a little long. Um, But before I say anything else, I just want us to read through it and listen to it uh, together this morning. And so Genesis chapter 22, if you haven't found your way there, it's at the very beginning. Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament right at the start. Um, It's going to be helpful today if you do have a Bible on your lap, because we're going to be turning through some pages. If you've got a screen in front of you, I'm sure you'll be able to navigate that just fine as well. Genesis chapter 22 says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. For some of us, that's a story that we've either heard about or read before or very familiar with. Uh, Others of you, maybe that's the first time hearing it, or maybe that's the first time really hearing it or hearing it clearly. in, in case you weren't aware, um, I, I hope as you hear it this morning, you realize again in a, in a new way uh, that, that this, is a, this is a crazy story. This story is, is nuts, and, and that's a theological classification. <laughs> there's, there's nothing common about this story. There's nothing about this story that on, on surface level makes sense. For some of us who are really familiar with it and we think, oh, it's chapter 22 in the Bible. It's a story of Abraham almost sacrificing his son Isaac and I'm familiar with that and oh, that's part of, the, of God's story. Well, granted, it, it's in there and some of us are familiar with it. It's still nuts. It's still crazy. We're, we're calling this series The Story, but there are parts of the story that we can describe as dramatic and this is, this is drama. This is just pure crazy drama in the midst of a whole lot of other crazy stuff. In the story that, that God is writing throughout Scripture, there's moments that come up that just kind of, kind of shock us a little bit. And, and this is one of them. And so in case it's a little too familiar to you, let it shock you a little bit. If it's the first time you've heard it, or maybe it's the first time you've ever been in a church and listened to Scripture before, and you're like, yeah, that's as crazy as I thought it all was. That's, that's bizarre. That's a, a, and it, if you even know the background to, to it and more of the details, it, it's even more bizarre. It's, it's a son being told by God, apparently, to kill his son, his only son. He doesn't have a whole bunch. He's like, yeah, I'll give God one of them. It's his only one. He had another one older by a, by a mistress, and, and he's gone now, so he's got one son. And God says, it, and, and not just to kill him, but to take him up and, and to sacrifice him and as a burnt offering. And there's, there's details in that that are just violent and uncomfortable and gross. And this is a bizarre story. What I want us to do together this morning is to to back up a little bit and go, what's actually happening here? And what does God possibly have in store for me and for you today in the here and now with this dramatic, crazy, bizarre, really old story? As we do this, let's look at the first couple verses that that I just read. It's, it's, It's verse one and two. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. That frames the whole thing. That tells us, that gives us a clue right off the bat what's going on. God is testing Abraham. Here's what happens when we sit in that for a moment and realize what's going on here. God is testing Abraham. There's not too many of us that hear the term test and go, this is going to be really good. God is testing Abraham. God maybe is going to test me. I remember when i have been tested before, that was, that was great. In my home right now, I have a, a senior in high school um, who is really, he's, he's an excellent student, gets really good grades, is really struggling because he's cruising in his last like, three and a half months towards gradua- graduation and, and told me the other day, I'm having a real hard time um, being as smart as I am because it's, it's, I don't want to study and this is just really hard. And, and tests for him are like, meh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm cruising. And then I've got a sixth grader who is just getting kind of enculturated into how much he's supposed to not like school. And so tests for him are like that's that's not a good thing. I can remember when I think of tests, what I think of immediately is my sophomore year in high school of algebra two. I took algebra two as a sophomore in high school. I don't know what it's called today, I'm sure there's a better name for it. But in, in algebra two in, in my tenth my grade year of high school, I hated every time there was a test that came up. And the reason I hated it is because I didn't study one bit for algebra two in high school. I just didn't study. I don't know why. I was thinking about this over the last couple days and why I didn't study. And I was a good student, and I actually cruised through geometry. And maybe I just thought, I'm going to cruise through this one. And it was just easy. And if you don't know this, there's a geometry brain and an algebra brain. I'm not the algebra brain, apparently. Every test I would come into, I would, and and I had three best friends that sat around me. um, And they ended up, our senior year, two of them ended up being valedictorians, and one of them was a salutatorian. So they knew their stuff and they got good grades in Algebra 2. I literally would go into every test in Algebra 2 my 10th grade year in high school, and I would wait till they were done with their tests, and then I would kick their chair and go, and they would slide their test enough so I could see it, and I would just fill in the answers. That's this is just my confession, okay? I've done my work with Jesus. He's forgiven me. Um, I don't really care if you do, but... Um, I cheated and so every time I would go into a test I I realized I'm a cheater I don't know this stuff my friends being friends did what friends do in that kind of scenario and towards the end of the school year they started hiding their tests and I would sweat and I would kick their chair and they would scoot their chair away and I would go there's four minutes left in class I need your test and they would sit there and laugh and then they would finally slide it over and let me see it so I passed I got through but I I didn't know my stuff in that test I didn't like it when it says that God tests Abraham, there's not much of a, oh, wonderful, this is great, test me, God. For most of us, it's a, I don't, I don't want that, I'd rather not. Can we just look at the last grade that I got that was really good and go with that one? God's testing Abraham, and when, when this shows up in Scripture that God tests people, that we're tested, that the followers of God, the followers of Jesus are tested throughout Scripture, what it's meant to do is not to show what a failure we are, like I was in Algebra 2, to to reveal to us how much we didn't know. Tests throughout the Bible are meant to show this is who you really are, and you're, you're actually worthy, and you're actually good, and you're further along. Now, there are times when tests are failed in Scripture, but God's heart is to say, look how far you've come. Look at where you are. It's to reveal what you're really like to show your, your worth and where you're at in the progress of becoming more and more like God and more obedient and more holy. There's another kind of test that's very different than what we often think. Let me give you another image of a, of a different kind of test that, that proves where we're at or where a person is at. There's a uh, Oscar-nominated documentary about rock climbing called Free Solo. How many of you have seen it? Okay number of you. You're rooting for it. Is it tonight? Tonight's Oscars, right? Yeah, I really care about it. Uh, it's, um, Free Solo is a documentary about rock climbing, and it's about Alex Hanold. And w- what it's all about is, is him climbing the face of El Capitan, uh, which is a rock face, a mountain, a rock mountain in, in Yosemite. It's, it's 3,200 feet straight up, basically, rock face. And he climbs it w- without ropes. Um, which is, in case you're not paying close attention, crazy. I, I mean, that's, that's crazy. I think mean, there's a, like a, you can, you can diagnose somebody, like you're gonna climb that, you're, you're, you're crazy. What he does is, is he, he practices over and over and over again. He's already an accomplished rock climber, and then he moves to El Capitan and sets this as a goal to, to free climb that without ropes. He says this, listen to this. The important part of being able to climb El Cap When you're at his level, you get to call it just El Cap. We call it El Capitan. (laughs) To climb El Cap was for it to feel slightly normal. For it to feel slightly business as usual. For me to look up at the wall and to think, I'm just going to climb this like I usually climb this, even though I don't have a rope on. Hanold's seemingly blasé approach to such death-defying challenges can be disconcerting at first, but scratch under the surface and you'll understand it's an attitude built on a foundation of hard work and preparation. The truth is that every move is choreographed. Each foothold has been mapped out months in advance, every thumb grip visualized hundreds of times. The trick to not falling is not leaving anything to chance and training your mind for every possible outcome. It's definitely a bigger mental challenge than it is physical, he said, explaining that he and many others have climbed the rock face multiple times with harnesses attached. But the idea of doing it without a rope is a step further, it seems. Duh. Do you get the picture? He, he's climbed it over and over, hundreds of times with, with harnesses and he's mapped out everything and he's practiced and he's found which route he's gonna take. The article goes on, it's in CNN uh, just a couple days ago. It, it goes on and describes how he found the route that he wanted to take and then he practiced that over and over and over and harnessed and mapped it out and practiced over and over and over and again. So then when he shows up to climb El Cap in June of 2017, he knows exactly where he's going and he's familiar with it. and. And because he's done that, and because he's practiced it over and over and over again, it. This sounds crazy to say, but it's not crazy. It's he's familiar with it. He knows what it's like. Now, for you or I, to walk up to to El Cap, and to say I'm going to climb it, because I want to be like Alex Honnold, is is insane. It's it's not wise. In, in, in fact, like I, I, I've been there before. It was a long time ago. I was, a, I was a kid. But not only would I not even think or dream of climbing it, because that would be so scary, if we took it and we turned it on its side and mapped out just 3,200 feet to, to run across it, I would probably trip at a greater rate than he would fall free climbing it. He's, he's practiced it that much. When we read this story... And we understand, and and it hits us in the face, and it says, this is a bizarre, crazy story. It's because one of the things that we're doing is we read the story on a Sunday morning, because it's the text that we're reading, and we go, what is it for me to be like Abraham? And we all of a sudden, we jump into the story right here, and we go, would I do that? What would that feel like if I only had one son? What if God tests me? When does God test me? And we all of a sudden think that we're right here in chapter 22 of, of Abraham, and we're not. We have to go all the way back and turn this, if you've got your Bible, turn to last week's text. It's it's Genesis chapter 12. When we pick up at Genesis chapter 12, listen to what happens here. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, go, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God speaks to Abraham. Abraham hears God's voice and he does this at that point, still what seems like a fairly crazy thing. That he, he gets up and he leaves his family, he leaves his father's household, he leaves everything he knows and he leaves the only land he's ever known and he just leaves And he goes, and God God says, I'm going to show you something. He doesn't know where he's headed quite yet, but he just starts going. He steps out because he hears God. And what we see is that God's given him this promise, and it becomes a covenant later, but he tells us this promise that I'm going to bless all people through you. And so what God's doing is he's saying, this is the plan that's going to continue on in chapter 12 through the rest of the entire Bible. Picks up at, at 12 here and says, I'm going to bless everybody through you, and you're going to become a nation. So you're going to become a nation, you're going to multiply, and then everybody is going to be blessed. God is saying, I'm going to reveal my nature, my character, and who I am, and I'm going to restore all that's been broken in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I'm going to rescue and redeem everything and put it back together, but I'm going to do this over a long period of time, and it's going to be through you. And he's not married, and he doesn't have a son. He has no heirs at this point. And Abraham steps out and goes. And then just a few verses later, the Lord appeared to him in verse seven because he entered into Canaan and God shows up. This is a key moment and he appears to him again. And then later on, uh, Abraham gets, uh, he gets hungry. There's a famine. And instead of listening to God, he just jets over to Egypt. And he, you know, we looked at this last week. Adam talked about this. that He's got his wife, Sarah, who he thinks is very attractive and he thinks they're gonna kill me to get you. So I'll just give them you and say that you're my sister. That didn't go well because Pharaoh takes, takes Sarah as one of his wives and then he gets really sick. And so Abraham's watching this. No, no, she's supposed to be mine. But to protect myself, I gave her away. And what what happened? God God made Pharaoh really sick so that he sent her back to me. God, God's doing. God's working. He's doing something. This is crazy. I'm poor Pharaoh. Sorry, brother. But okay, I'll take her back and all the cattle and the servants that you give me. So I just got, I just got kind of wealthy. I mean, that's. I mean, they had to go to counseling for that. I'm sure between him and Sarah. But but then they head out and and the next step and then and then. Uh, Lot, his nephew, takes the, the good piece of land, and then, and then God says, speaks to Abraham again in chapter 13, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abraham, I'm going to bless all the peoples through you. I'm going to give you you the choice land, and I'm going to give you a family. And then you turn, you turn the page, and we come to, to 15. Chapter 15 says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. So he's spoken to Abraham a couple times. He's made Pharaoh sick. And then he he shows up in a dream, in a vision to Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abram's response is this. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate? It's Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. It's so helpful for God that Abram's educating God on the situation that Abram does not have children yet, and so how can he have a whole uh, a people and uh, the, whole, the whole world, which he, Abram has no imagination of what that could even be at this point. But everybody's going to be blessed. So I can't even imagine that, but I don't have anyone. In fact, Eliezer, and he's not even that great of a dude. Eliezer's going to get all my stuff. God, you've got to hurry up and give me a kid. But God's talking to him and says, no, I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. Verse chapter 17 the Lord appeared to Abram. And it's very important that the Lord appeared to him here because he tells him something very important. He gives him a new name, but he also says you got to be circumcised. And so if that's me, when if I'm 99 and being asked to be circumcised for the first time, God better appear to me. Otherwise, I don't know that I'm going to go forward with that. And then I've got some platform to stand on to my 13-year-old son, Ishmael, who came through a mistress, a servant of Sarah, and he's got to get circumcised too. It was a bummer day for everybody, but... That happened in 17. Then God said, yes, but your wife. So God's talking to Abraham Abraham again. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. Not Hagar. You've got Ishmael. He's 13 and and healing up right now. But Sarah is the one that's going to bear you a son, and you're going to name him Isaac. This is not where your people's going to come from. It's going to be through Isaac, who's not here yet. God said that to him. And then God shows up again in chapter 18 and appeared to Abraham again. And then God gets into conversation with Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah, which were not good places. And there's this other dramatic story here in 18 and 19 about Sodom and Gomorrah. And and God dialogues with Abraham saying, these people are wicked and evil, and so I'm going to destroy them. And Abram debates with him and goes back and forth. Please don't destroy them. Please, Is there another option? Can we do something else? And goes back and forth, back and forth, and there's no holy people found, no good people, and so it's destroyed. And Abraham sees God say something to him and then follow through and do it. In chapter 20, Abraham and Abimelech. God came to Abimelech in a dream because Abraham did something dumb again. And he says, let's, let's try this one more time. You're still very attractive. You're in your late 80s, early 90s, but I'm, gonna, I'm still scared they're gonna take me. So I'm gonna give you as my sister. Again, we're gonna, we're gonna run that through again and see if it works. And Abimelech takes Sarah as one of his wives. And then God shows up to Abimelech and says, no, you're not supposed to do anything here. Stop. And he gets sick. Another leader of a foreign country, a foreign tribe of a different faith, gets sick by God and comes back to Abraham and says, what did you do? And he says, ah, again, sorry, brother. Um, That's a bummer. And and Abimelech says, I didn't touch her. Gives him back. Gets Sarah back. And he says, hey, pray for me. Abimelech. Abimelech. Who has a different faith and a different tribe goes to Abraham who's been talking to God all along and he says, okay, let me try this again. And he talks to God again and he says, God, would you, would you heal Abimelech? And Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech. Abraham sees the hand of God do a miracle. Abraham created a mess and God shows up with a miracle and heals and makes Abimelech's household multiply. And then in her 90s, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. This this long promise from long ago finally comes to fruition that Isaac is born. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. She was old too. Abraham gave his name Isaac. In the next chapter, sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And what does Abraham do? He goes, Okay, here I go. Servants, wood, let's go, Isaac. Three days, gets there, takes the wood. Puts it on Isaac. Isaac, let's go. Dad, what what is going on? This is weird. We haven't done this before. I don't get this. God's going to provide. You've got the wood. I've got the fire. I've got the knife. Let's go. God's going to provide. Isaac was texting his friends. My dad's crazy. I don't know what's going on. In fact, I'm a little scared right now. My, My dad's bizarre. I don't understand this. Come on, Isaac. Let's go. If you or I walked up to El Capitan and said, hey, wa- watch this. Cameras, let's go. Documentary, let's go. It's first time here, but, wa- but watch this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put a foothold here and then a, a thumb hold here. And then, in, well, Alex did it in like three hours and 56 minutes. Give me four hours. And we would start to climb. We, we would get ripped down by our friends and, and said, you need to talk to somebody. You're not well. But when Alex's friends saw him do it when they'd been watching him train and seen him do it over and over and over again they said okay, we'd rather you not but we're, we think you can too and when he climbs the, the summit and, and gets up on top and accomplishes a life goal he didn't have the harnesses on he didn't have the ropes on but he'd done it hundreds of times before and he knew the way and Abraham said I don't understand all this Hebrews actually tells us. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17, 18, and 19 said that, that, that Abraham was proved righteous because he obeyed God. That Abraham believed that God could raise from the dead even then. That even if the unthinkable would happen, that he would cut his son's throat. That he had had so many conversations with God. And not only that, but he had seen God show up so many times that he believed This is the one with the name. This is the one. There's not another one. This is the one. And if he were to die on this moment, he would be raised in this moment as well. Because I've seen how God works, and I've seen every foothold and thumbhold and over and over and over. And I've gone astray, and God's brought me back. I've gone astray, and God's fixed it. I've gone this way, and God's gotten my attention through a dream, through his voice, through appearing. That I know who God is. You and I cannot read ourselves into Abraham's place in life right here. We can't do it. None of us are 100 plus years old and have walked with God this story. But what we can read in here is what this tells us, not about Abraham, but about God. And that Abraham knew God so well. He knew his voice. He knew his actions. He knew his behavior. He knew his character he knew his trustworthiness that even when God called him to do something that he didn't he couldn't understand or explain he said I know who God is and what this story is meant to tell us above anything else is that the more that we walk with God the more that we understand God the more trustworthy he proves himself the more faithful he becomes the more we're able to trust him because he shows up, because he proves faithful. And God asks us to do on all sorts of different levels. None of us will he ask us to sacrifice a child. He will not ask us that. That will not happen. He will ask those of us who are parents, who are moms and dads, to trust our daughters and our sons, our first and foremost, his daughters and his sons. He will ask us to to trust him with with all of our time that we have in our weeks and our days and our lives, to, to trust him with that. When it won't slow down enough, when we don't have enough time, when we've taken our time and we've not managed it well, and he calls us back to, to manage your time in this way, he will ask us to trust him with that. He will ask us to trust him with our money. He won't ask us to say, take everything that you own and possess and just send it away. He doesn't ask us to do that, but he says, hey, Take it and, and trust me with it. Abby and I have been here at Mosaic for 11 and a half years. And probably twice a year, I've stood up and, and told you, we, we take our money, and we, we take for the first couple of years, it was 10%, and then a few years into our time here, God led us to move it to 11, and we take 11% of our combined income before taxes, and we divide it by, now we do it by 24. We do two checks a month whatever you call a thing when the bank sends money over the cloud. I don't know. Transfer, it transfers clouds. We take it from our cloud and give it to Mosaic's cloud. I, however that works, it, twice a month we give, we give that. We I didn't walk in and, and walk up and say, oh, here we can do that out, out of the gate. That took, that took years early on getting there. And you, you, you hear that and you go, that, that, that's crazy. I, I, how do we do that? You're not asked to walk up to El Capitan and start climbing. It starts with the little, with the practice handling the little things. How do you spend your money on the weekend? When you see something that you want, do you buy it immediately? In case you don't know, that's not a good thing. Do you take time and wait? How much money goes through your hands that you're not even aware of? How do you manage in the small things and God leads you into more? All the while, listen to this, testing. Testing. Testing so that you can see who you are. God tested Abraham. This wasn't for God. This test was not for God. This was for Abraham. God, I I trust you well and well. Trust you deeply enough that I would take a a knife out and be just a few inches away, all the while thinking this this can't possibly happen. But I trust you enough. And he walks away with a confirmation from God to him saying, I'm going to do great things through you because you obeyed me. God says, trust me with your identity. Who are you? What have you accomplished to this point in your life? What are the dreams that that you struggle with saying, if I get this, then I'm worth something. If I don't accomplish this, then I'm not. When it comes to your identity and you think through your sexuality, God asks you to to trust him with that in the small things. Not not in the, the biggest moments at all the time, but to start down here and say, hey, Where does my eye stray? Where does my mind go? Where am I wrestling? Where, God, I get to choose versus I'm going to follow you on this one. And over and over and over, testing, testing, testing. So when the big moment comes that we can say, God, this is who I want to be. I want to be your child. I want to be your son, your daughter, and all of who I am. My sexuality, my identity, my money, my time, my relationships, all of it, you get it all. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, when I have learned, when he says, learnt, when I have learnt to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, When Jesus is put first, when God is put first above all else, second things are not suppressed, but increased. God is saying to each and every one of us, amen. That's a great amen. It's okay, you can say that. Thank you, Masa. When we take all that is in front of us in this life and we say, God, I'm gonna love you above all of this, we're able to actually love the things in this life appropriately, rightly, and better, and more fully and thoroughly. That's how God works in and through us. And so God is saying, I want all of you. And I'm going to start with the small things. I'm not going to ask you to walk up to El Capitan and take a leap of faith or a blind step of faith. God does not ask us of that. He asks us to to take steps of faith that we're prepared for. And so for many of us, it will start right in front of us and it's just a little baby step. And so what's that baby step for you that you're going back and forth? not, Not walking your son to the altar, not that with the baby step of what's in front of you that God's saying, trust me with that. The other part of the story that we don't have time to get into, but it, God called Abraham to, to take Isaac to Mount Moriah. And Moriah is, in case you're wondering where exactly Abraham was when he was doing this, he was not in some cavernous form of, of tunnels and chambers of mines in the northwestern corner of Middle Earth. It's not where he was. Moriah is a mountain range in a region that today we know of as Jerusalem, where the Temple Mount is built, where on it there's a shrine, a Muslim Islamic shrine, at the place where this happened. And it's also in the same area where God's son was sacrificed for me and for you. It's all in the same place. In chapter 22 of Genesis, and that doesn't happen until the New Testament in the Gospels that we find that God gives his son and goes all the way and allows him to be sacrificed out of his great love for us. And God, again, is saying, trust me. I'm trustworthy. I'm faithful. And so we, as we take a baby step, are in the habit and the pattern and the practice of taking multiple steps as we walk to these tables and are reminded of a trustworthy God who says, I love you enough to give you my son. This is a demonstration, my love. So here's what I want to invite you to do as we do on most times we gather, as we, as we sing and we worship and we come to this table and we, we taste the love of a God who says, I'm trustworthy. Trust me with your very life. Starting at the baby steps and growing up to the big things because I want to do things through you. I want to do great things through you. But We're not going to start that. We're going to back up and start here and you're going to hear my voice and see my hand and see my faithfulness and see my trustworthiness. And so Jesus, we come to these tables and remember your sacrifice for us as God's only son, as God's beloved. And we come this morning and we're reminded that that you meet us where we're at. And you turn our ears and our heart to hear your voice. And so would you do do that with us this morning, that we would hear your voice, speak to us. For some of us we've already heard and we know what it is that you're calling us to, to, to trust you with the parts of our lives that we've tried to hold on to and not literally walk to the altar and say, okay, you can have this part of me. You can have this part of my life. You can have this desire. You can have this hope. You can have this relationship. You can have this possession. You can have this practice, whatever it is. God, would we be the kind of people that give you more and more and more of us because you are the God that is faithful and trustworthy.